bring the lights up for you. We're going to be in Mark chapter 3. Going to visit our old pal Mark. We started a series through the book of Mark uh, several months ago and took a little break from it and now we're getting back into it. Mark 3. So far we have seen Jesus um, really, I mean he's done a number of things by this point, but if, if you had to put it into two categories uh, in the Gospel of Mark, so far we've seen Jesus do a lot of teaching, and we've seen him work a lot of miracles. And what he is doing, if you want to put a big umbrella over those two things, is he is uh, bringing the kingdom of God uh, like to the people. He's inviting, inviting us into this new reality, this new kingdom that uh, was at one point unavailable to us, and now it is available. And so Jesus is, is going around and he's kind of doing what any like, good teacher would do. Uh, you have uh, times where there's like lecture, you know, and you're, you're, you're teaching concepts and truths and things. And then it's almost like he takes them into the lab sometimes and he starts to show them because it's kind of hard to understand uh, exactly what that is. Um, is Greg back there? Could you turn this mic down a little bit? I feel like it's about to electrocute me. Not really. It's not really about to let you keep me. You just turn the gain down or something. I feel like I mean, I'm about to start yelling a lot, so I don't really want to. All right, thank you. Um, so yeah, so he's teaching, and then he's in the, the lab a little bit, and he's showing them what's, what's going on, what the kingdom of God looks like, because they really have no point of reference for understanding it. Um, as humans, we're born into this, this kingdom of the world that's very self-centered. It's all about me and what I can get and what makes me happy and that kind of stuff. And um, it's, a, it's a broken world. Sin has broken everything. All of our relationships, all of, uh, all of all the systems and how, how the world works and how all these things fit together, it's all broken. So Jesus comes in and says, hey, you don't have to live in the broken kingdom anymore. There's a new kingdom that's available to you. It's the kingdom of God. And, uh, and they're like, okay, that sounds really intriguing, but Jesus is super smart, and he knows that they don't really understand what it means, so he starts to show them. And one of the things he keeps showing them is about working these, these miracles. He heals people whose bodies have been broken by sin physically. He, he works uh, against some of the natural systems in place that are all flawed. He, um, he, the, and, and one of the big things that got a lot of attention, you know, it, there was the healing, but also the, like, he would pull demons out of people. He would call them out and demons would have to leave. And, and that really, that, that kind of got him famous. The, the healing got him famous in the region, but word had trickled to Jerusalem that there was this rabbi who was performing all these incredible acts. So we get to the point in Mark's gospel where uh, the, the higher ups in uh, the religious world sent some delegates to, uh, to basically go deal with Jesus. Um, so word had trickled to them of, of all this miraculous stuff, and he was getting all this attention, and people thought he might be the Messiah. And so they said, okay, we're going we're gonna, to like, squash this. So we're going to send some folks down there. We're going to kind of, kind of pull like a, um, maybe like a political, like a house of cards kind of move. We're just going to go in and like plant all these lies and rumors and stuff, and we'll, we'll take care of it. And that's kind of where we, where we find him. Um, so look at verse 22 in Mark. 
Verse 22 says, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, so this is the delegation that has been sent to deal with him. They're saying, well, he's possessed by Beelzebul. And by the prince of demons, he casts out the demons. That was their, that was their argument. It's like, oh, no, it's not that he's casting out demons. It's that he himself has a demon. Like he's in cahoots with Satan. And that's really what's, what's going on here. That that's the, he's made a deal with the devil. You know, like it's one of those, like the oldest like motifs in, in, in like uh, storytelling. It's, it's in literature, it's in music, it's, you know, there's Faust and there's Dorian Gray and those kind of stories. There's uh, um, the devil's advocate, you know, Al Pacino and stuff like it's in there. There's this, this thing that runs throughout all of our storytelling about, yeah, you know, if you really want to accomplish something amazing, the devil will make a deal with you and you just have to give him your soul and then he makes you really good at something. I mean, that's the... Isn't that what you think when you see like Chris Angel or David Blaine do something? You're like, oh, definitely that's the devil. You know, like there's been some sort of like, it's just, there's no way that's really happening. Something really creepy is going on there. Um, even, you know, the devil went down to Georgia, right? That's what the whole thing is about. Um, or the devil went up to Michigan. Any of you 90s hip hop fans? No? All right, not now, because just don't insult me, but at some point tonight, go home, Google. The devil went up to Michigan, and uh, it's, it's amazing. You'll, you'll thank me later. You'll thank me later. But that's, it's one of these things where it's like, yeah, that's the, that's the only solution sometimes to something that's just so bizarre. It's like, oh, yeah, he must have made a deal with the devil. Uh, it goes all the way back to Jesus in the desert. It really goes back to the Garden of Eden. I mean, it's just this long-time story. And so that's their argument. That's their way to try to deal with Jesus. And so Jesus says in verse 23, Says he called them and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. Alright, so we're going to cover a lot of ground here in this little story. Um, when we first started through Mark, I kind of would, would take each week and build it around two questions. Uh, as a means of kind of giving a, an, an accessible framework for studying the Bible on our own. It was two questions. One was, what does, what does God want us to know? And the second one was, what does God want us to do? Then in every text we encounter, there's, he's trying to communicate something to us. He wants us to know something. Um, and from that knowledge, we need to do something. Sometimes it's explicit, sometimes it's implicit. And so I'm going to kind of revisit that uh, tonight. And so... Um, I'm going to just kind of go through this, and I have three ideas of things I want that I think he wants us to know from this text, and um, then kind of three sort of action points after that. So the first thing, what does God want us to know? Uh, the first one is I think he wants us to know the truth about how Jesus relates to Satan. I think it's I think that's something that he wants us to know to not be confused. You know, there's there's it's easy to feel like Jesus and Satan are uh, like yin and yang. You know, like they are equals in some way. It's gotten darker. Uh, 
I was like, whoa. <laughs> um, to feel like they are somehow equals, that they are, um, you know, the good cop and the bad cop. And that's not what's going on. And, and so Jesus kind of, he refutes the, the illogical premise that they bring to the table, like very succinctly, um, by kind of showing us, here's, here's kind of two ideas to work off of. One, they are not partners. That, they were saying that he's, Jesus is in cahoots with Satan to, you know, have these exorcisms. And, well, they're not. I mean, look, look at what Jesus says. Um, verse 23, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, the house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but it's coming to an end. He's like, look, this is maybe the dumbest argument you could have come from Jerusalem with. You know, like this is complete, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, it's like, oh, I have, I have this raccoon infestation in my house. What, what do I do? It's like, oh, we need to definitely put more raccoons in your house. You know, it's like, no, that's, that's silly. And so all he kind of does is he's like, look, we're, we're not partners. We're not working together. There's, let there be no, no confusion. But in the minds, of, especially at that time, it probably made sense to a second. Because they were looking for an explanation. And he's going to give them an explanation. But one of the explanations is not, is not that they are equals. That they are in collaboration in some sort of way. And that it's a yin and yang kind of thing. Uh, they are not on the same playing field at all. We see it all throughout the Bible, but it is one of those misconceptions that's easy to come up with. And uh, there's this really terrible painting that I love of Jesus and Satan arm wrestling. And uh, that's just not the way that, that, that it is at all. And so I, I think God wants us to know that. So Jesus takes this opportunity to say, no, that, that's ridiculous. So they're not partners. Uh, I mean, they're, they're not equals and they're not partners. Look at verse 27. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods. Unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. This, Jesus is trying to show them this is actually what's happening. It's not, it's not that, that, uh, that I have a demon in me that's casting out other people's demons. It's, it's not what's going on. He said what's actually happened is Satan had, like he had control over this kingdom. And I have come in to this strong man's house and I have tied him up and bound him. And now, I'm just plundering. I'm walking around his house, and I'm literally just stealing all the things that he thought was his. I'm stealing this, this man who had leprosy, and I'm healing him. I'm stealing this person who was possessed by a demon. I'm getting the demon out. I'm freeing him. I'm plundering the house. I'm telling people what the truth is, and they're saying yes, and they're coming to follow me. Uh, Satan has been bound from, the, from Genesis 3, the incarnation, to uh, Jesus' temptation in the desert, to his baptism, to this moment, like this moment, Satan is the strong man who at one point had a lot of power, and now he's bound and gagged, and he's having to watch Jesus just plunder his house one person at a time, one situation at a time. So in this room, right now, um, Jesus is doing some serious plundering. He's saying, yeah, you know, 
I know that, that sin broke everything and you think that you had control over it, but watch, just watch me heal this person. Watch me free this person. Watch me restore this, this friendship. Watch me take this marriage that was in crisis and do something beautiful with it. Let me, watch me take this financial situation and, and do something absolutely incredible. Watch this long-term addiction. Watch me free them from it. Watch me do all this stuff over and over and over again. And then watch me send them out into the rest of the parts of your house to tell people about it. And let's let that happen in every church all around the world for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And so Jesus is plundering the house of the devil. And the devil is tied up and bound. And there ain't a whole lot he can do about it. That's the reality. That's the truth. So the first thing God wants us to know is the truth about how Jesus and Satan relate to each other. And that's it. Uh, Satan is tied up and Jesus is plundering his house. And um, enjoying every minute of it, I think. Uh, So that's the first thing. I hope that that is encouraging to you. The second thing, well, before I get to the second things, let me explain why he goes where he goes in the text, and then I'll kind of give you the the other two points. So he goes from this idea of uh, refuting the fact that he's not possessed by a demon, then it seems to kind of like take a weird turn. So in verse 28, it says, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. So that, that seems like a, like, a, like a jump. Like he's talking about spiritual warfare and the devil, and then he goes into this whole, like, uh, I'll forgive everything, but I won't forgive this one thing. And it seems a little bit confusing, but they're, they're related. So... Let's, let's go toward the obvious like, uh, thing that makes everyone nervous part. It was verse 29. Where he's like, okay, there's this one thing that will not be forgiven. Um, and this is, is it's, you will find variances of this throughout like, uh, the Christian faith in different denominations and traditions. Sometimes they will, like, some people will say, okay, well, there's, it's this verse and... Uh, it's this, this thing, it's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And others will categorize, categorize things into like mortal sins and that kind of stuff. And you know, there's all kinds of beliefs about things like suicide and self abortion and things like that that, that, that are uh, confusing to people about, okay, what, what's forgivable and what is not forgivable? And the best thing to do is to go with what Jesus tells us. Jesus says, there's this one thing, just this one thing. Let me read it. Whoever blasphemes, verse 29, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. So what is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, you may ask? (laughs) You're like, I would like to not do that one, please. (laughs) The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in this context, okay, the reason he goes from, uh, from the talk about Satan into this thing is because... uh, the, when you attribute the work of God to Satan, when, when you credit Satan for God's work, um, that, is n- that is not something that is, uh, yeah, it's not something that you will get forgiveness for. And that's what they're doing. And he's not necessarily pointing a finger at, at these guys, you know, saying, you guys will never get forgiven. But he's, he's saying, hey, look, what they're doing like when you're saying, no, that's not God, that's actually Satan. 
that that is uh, slandering the Holy Spirit. That when the Spirit is giving, uh, the Spirit is testifying to the work of God in the world, you're basically saying, no, he's not. That's not God. That's actually the devil. Now, some of you are like, okay, well, that, I, don't think I've done, I don't think I've done that. It's easy to know that you haven't done it. Because if you're worried about it, you haven't done it. See, it's, it's not, that, it's not that, that God is, that this like especially makes him angry or hurts his feelings, you know? What is happening here, like if you, if you kind of zoom out a little bit, when someone looks at, looks at something that God is doing and saying, that's not Jesus, that's actually Satan, they are, are like willfully rejecting the work of God. And in order to willfully reject the work of, of God, you have to be... You have to be in a, in a place where you are so calloused that there isn't any repentance. There isn't any sort of uh, desire to know what God's doing, to be a part of what God is doing. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And when someone is saying, that's not God, that's actually the devil, they're their hearts have become so hardened that they're rejecting what God's doing. So it's, it's, it's willful, it's, it's intentional, it's, um, it's calling God a liar, basically. And so what happens is, is the, the very thing that it takes to lead you into forgiveness is that, that conviction... You get to that point where you realize, like, I'm a, I'm a sinner, and I'm in need of divine help, and Jesus is that help. And, um, and you, you, you are drawn to him. What's happening there in those moments is, is you know, the, God the Father dreamed up the plan. Jesus came and accomplished redemption. The Holy Spirit is the one that applies it to us. And so the Holy Spirit is the one that's he's doing the convicting, he's doing the leading. And, and so when, when you are, are in sin and you begin to realize that and that conviction is setting in, all those things are happening, that's the work of the Spirit that's drawing you into repentance, into forgiveness, into all of those things. And so it's not that, that God is especially mad at this sin. He's saying, no, like when you're, when you're rejecting what's going on, then you're rejecting the very thing that draws you into repentance in the first place. He's not saying, I refuse to forgive that. He's saying, no, you, you can't even push the first domino over into forgiveness. Because your heart has become so calloused. So it's like, you know, with, with, uh, with like power lifters who have calluses on their hands. And um, like construction guys and their hands are all leathery. And uh, guitar players and their finger, string players, their fingertips are all calloused. It's that kind of repetitive stuff that, that builds up this rejection toward God. And so that's what sin does over and over and over again. And so we're not talking about a one-time thing. We're not talking about someone who had a bad day. We're not talking about someone who has drifted from the Lord, who is questioning their faith. We're not talking about someone who just went off and yelled every name in the book at someone. We're not talking about those kinds of things. We're talking about over and over and over and over again saying no, 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 no. And that callous builds up. It's not that God doesn't want to forgive you, but the, the mechanism of forgiveness, the, the Holy Spirit uh, softening your heart and drawing you to Him, it can't happen because you are hardened toward Him. 
And so it's willful rejection. It's, it's deliberate. It's a refusal to believe. It's, um, yeah, it's all that stuff. So, a lot of the reading that I like, did and studying on this and really wanting, I'm not saying I just presented it well, but I want to present it well because I think it's something that people get nervous about. I kept reading over and over again this, gentle, this general sentiment of, uh, hey, if, if you're concerned about having committed this sin, then that's an indication that you have not, you don't need to worry about it. Because if, if you, um, yeah, the fact that you are worried about it is a really good sign. People who commit this sin, they don't want anything to do with God. It's no, 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 no. They don't, they, they don't feel bad about it. They don't wonder about it. They don't worry about it. It's just a constant pushing away. And so what you do is you callous your way right into an, a, a situation where uh, you will not sense the drawing and conviction of the Spirit. So don't hear this as an unkind statement from Jesus. He's, he's saying, look, when you get to where you're attributing the work of God to the work of Satan, you, you have rejected God to the point where you don't even know what's up from down. Like You just don't even know. And, and forgiveness cannot get to you. Now, a lot of people focus on this, and they worry about this. And I, and I can understand. Haven't you experienced the callous nature of, of sin? You know, like when you're just willfully engaging in something over and over and over and over again, and you kind of get to the point where like, it, like I don't even feel bad anymore, and that that's kind of an alarming place to be. But I think we can all, like, I bet all of us know that there are things that we've done where that repetitive, repetitive, repetitive stuff just got to where you just didn't even care anymore. I'm not saying that you are headed toward blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Don't hear me saying that. But we can also experience like that same kind of callousness to where we continually are saying no to the Holy Spirit. And so to me, that's the second, that's the second thing God wants us to know. One, how does Jesus relate to Satan? Let's clear that up. But two, I think he's wanting us to know, you know, you can definitely reject the Spirit's work in your life. And you can, like in terms of blasphemy of the Spirit, that kind of stuff, like that's, so let's kind of put that to bed. Let's just talk about just normal life. You can say no. I mean, we can, we can push him away and push him away and push him away. And it's a dangerous place to be. Not, not dangerous like unforgivable sin kind of stuff, okay? Like if you're a Christian, I don't, I don't, think, I don't think you need to worry about this, okay? It's dangerous in, in, in the other sense, and that detaching from, like, from what is real and what's true. If Jesus is, is the trunk of the tree and we're the branches, it's, it's like in, intentionally cutting yourself off from the trunk of the tree, from the, the, the life source that he is. Uh, it's, it's like no longer is his life flowing into your life. You're like intentionally just cutting yourself off, cutting yourself off, cutting yourself off. And that callousness builds up and... You get to where, you know, you're like, I just don't even feel bad about it anymore. And, and, and I don't feel bad that I don't feel bad about it anymore. It just kind of keeps compiling. and It's so empty and dead. And, and you're, 
you're miserable. Like, you don't want to come in here and sing these songs. You know, like, you don't want to, you don't want to step up to the table and Jesus is offering you his, his body and blood, you know, and you're like, yeah, I'll take it. But the whole time you're like, oh, man, I can't believe I just did that. Like, am I going to get trouble for that, too? Like, I don't know if I should have done that. I don't really know what's going on. And, like, but I don't even feel bad about it, you know. That callousness can build up and build up and build up. Because we can say no to him. I think Jesus wants us to know that it's possible. And he wants us to know that it's a serious thing. But 29, really, verse 29 should not be the emphasis for us. Like we should be, we should be informed about verse 29. That we should know that, yeah, there is one, there's a sin that forgiveness cannot get to. And it's that willful, intentional rejection of God, attributing his, like God's work to Satan. It's, it's that, you're that far gone. Um, it's not that he's extra mad or he can't do it. It's that, yeah, the how forgiveness works can't work for you in that situation. But verse 29 is not the, the focus. We need to camp out in verse 28. Look at verse 28. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. And like, what well, didn't Jesus? Didn't you just say like? Didn't you just contradict himself? No. No. Here, when he talks about these blasphemies, this is like a general blasphemy. Verse twenty-nine is a very specific slandering of the Holy Spirit and calling him a liar. But this general, this general sense of like sin and and. Uh, Transgression is what he's talking about. Look at, look at what he tells them. All sins will be forgiven the children of man. You're a part of that. I'm a part of that. So many times people want to um, make themselves an exception to things. You ever talked with someone or felt this way yourself? And they'll say, yeah, but I mean, you just don't know what I've done. You don't know what my life has been like. You don't know what happened to me. You don't know what, what used to go on, or you don't know what goes on now. You don't know what happens when I kind of drop the, the church, you know, smiley face, everything's okay kind of thing, because you feel like you have to put that front on. There's all kinds of struggles that, that exist around us, and it's very easy for people, you and me included, to make ourselves exceptions to something that where Jesus, like, I mean, can he have opened the door any wider? He's like, hey, anything you can think of except this one thing that none of you are going to think of. I think that Jesus wants us to focus on this one. I think he wants us to, to be amazed that any... Anything that you were to write down on a piece of paper and slide across the table to him, and he would lift it up and be like, no, I covered that. My blood was enough for that. Body of Christ broken for you. He slides it back to you. You write something else, sign across. He's like, oh, blood of Christ poured out for you. That when you step to the communion table the next time, whether it's tonight or some other time, you're, you're stepping up and you're approaching and here's Jesus, he's offering himself to you and what you are bringing is this list of all, like, it's like, well, you don't know what I've done and he's like, uh, the body of Christ broken for you. Blood of Christ poured out for you. Like, yeah, but what about the, uh, the body of Christ broken for you? Blood of Christ poured out for you. 
So if you are hanging out in this in this part of your emotional and like logical being where you're like, yeah, Jesus doesn't he doesn't like me, he doesn't love me, he doesn't he's tired of me, he's fed up with me, he's so disappointed in me. He looks the other way, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, he doesn't want anything to do with me. You need to know that that's, that's a part of the beauty of the church gathering and communion being offered. Is that Jesus says, hey, until I come back, you need to do this. And you know why you need to do this? Because people are going to forget that the body of Christ is broken for them and that all the sins are forgiven, the children of man. They're going to forget. They're going to come up with reasons why it doesn't apply to them. They're going to they're panic. They're going to worry. They're going to be insecure. They're going to hide in the tree line again. And so you've got to keep drawing them out. And one way to do that is keep putting me out in front of them. Put the songs in front of them. Put the scriptures in front of them. Um, like this, this is a part of what we do. And so if you are here and there's something in your past, something going on presently, uh, some, in the future maybe, I don't know, whatever you're planning, whatever that needs to look like, that, that you just need to know that Jesus wants you to pay attention to verse 28. If there's a callousness that has built up with you where you're like, I don't even feel bad anymore, then bring that to the table. Go to him and say, you know what, I don't even care anymore. He's going to be like, I know. The body of Christ broke for you. The blood of Christ poured out for you. I mean, it's, this, it's the, the response. It's that over and over and over again. You can say no to him, but you can say yes to him. It, both of those are in there. Verse 29, yeah, you can say no. Verse 28, you can say yes. He said yes to you. Satan has been bound. Jesus is plundering his house. Jesus looks in your life and says, I'm, I'm going to plunder the brokenness and set you right side up one day at a time, one thing at a time, one situation at a time, over and over and over again. And all the sins of the children of man, including all of yours, will be forgiven. And you can say no, but why would you? You don't really want to say no. You actually, you've been waiting for someone to give you permission to say yes. And he's holding out the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ poured out for you. Like He's the one, not Taylor. I mean, Taylor's going to serve it, but it's Jesus that stands on the other side of the table. So what does, God, what does God want us to know? He wants us to know the truth about how Jesus and Satan relate to each other. The second thing he wants us to know is that you can say no to the Holy Spirit. The third thing he wants us to know is that sin is available. Uh, sorry, sin is available. Forgiveness is available. Like he's already forgiven you. So it's not about telling him, well, I need to make, bring him this list of all these things so that he will forgive me. He's already forgiven you. Forgiveness is about you coming and confessing and, and, and like thanking him for the forgiveness he's already provided. So you come in and you say, you know, I've, I've, been, I've been saying no to the Holy Spirit for too long. I'm, I'm ready to let Jesus plunder my life and say yes to him. And I believe that I'm a part of that all forgiveness that he offers to us. So those are some things God wants us to know. What does he want us to do? I'll give you, I'll give you three. I kind of already said them. Um, what does God want us to do? The first thing is I think he wants us to track and pay attention to Jesus' plundering in our lives. Um, to pay attention to what's going on. Uh, to look around your life and recognize, like, man, that's, that's Jesus doing that. 
That's what, part of what we prayed tonight from Psalm 23, verse 6. You're like, man, Jesus is just doing good stuff. And sometimes we look at our lives and our circumstances and all those kind of things. It's hard to, to sometimes, sometimes you just got to just hit pause, you know. Be still, be quiet. Say, God, would you just bring some things to mind that just show me that you're with me, you're for me, you love me. So look for Jesus' plundering activity in your lives because Satan has been bound. The second thing um, is to take sin seriously. Like it's, this, is not a, this is not a joke. So verse 29, again, I've said a hundred times, please don't freak out about this. Verse 29, don't worry about that. If you are concerned about committing that sin, then that's an indication that you are okay. But look, this is me, this is you, this is us. Taking sin seriously, it's, it's something that has to happen. And so let's, let's believe him when he says we can tell him no. Let's ask for help and constantly saying yes to him. Taking sin seriously. And the third one is to really walk in and embrace the forgiveness that he's offered to you, that he's made real for you. Stop beating yourself up about stuff that has happened in the past. We all have that laundry list of things. And things that sometimes the enemy, although he's bound, sometimes he, he likes to bark those things at us and remind us of stuff. Or uh, you'll just be sitting there and out of nowhere, some memory will come back. There's, there's all those things that were. That, that we all have going on. And it's about constantly applying the forgiveness of Jesus to those things. You take that thought captive, you take that emotion captive, and you make it submit to what Jesus has to say. And so when, whenever we have those things, whether it's present or past or whatever, we bring them to the Lord and we say, thank you that this is not something that I am, am like paying for anymore. And so maybe that's, what, maybe that's the mindset with which you approach communion tonight. Maybe there's a part of you that says, you know, I'm just, it's been so long since I've really just embraced the fact that I'm forgiven. That he is not, that he is no longer, like, I have nothing to pay for. That he has absorbed that debt of my sin and invited me into his life. So there's, you know, there's, we respond in kind of, the, kind of the, the same kind of ways on Sundays that we've done this for a while. If you're if you're a regular around here, you kind of know what's going on. But if you're ever the first time, let me just explain communion to you. I keep saying this, you know, body of Christ broken for you, blood of Christ poured out for you. Thing. That's because when we take communion uh, tonight, one of our elders, Taylor, he'll be down here front. He'll be, he's going to hold that out. And even if you've been here for a long time, listen listen into this because. You know, when we started doing communion every week, I was worried that it would lose its meaning. I feel like it's done the opposite. Uh, but if we're not careful, it can just become a routine. And so you tear off the bread, and Taylor's going to say, the body of Christ broken for you as you're tearing the, tearing the bread apart. You know? And as you dip the bread in the juice, he's going to say, the blood of Christ poured out for you, and you take it. And he's going to say that over and over and over again. Anyone that's ever served communion, you know, you're like, man, how many times did I say that? And, but with each time, you know, you just think about how much that's being spoken, how widespread his, uh, his atonement was for us. And so perhaps you approach the table tonight um, 
Maybe it's about his plundering activity in your life. Maybe it's about needing to take sin seriously. Maybe you've been telling the Holy Spirit no. Maybe it's just about embracing the forgiveness that he offers. There could be just dozens and dozens of reasons. Um, These steps are open for prayer. If you want to come and just kneel and pray at some point. Um, We're going to be doing some songs, and so you're welcome to sing. Kind of do all those things, whatever you want to do. Um, But I always enjoy the fact that, you know, the... Like God has specific words for specific like nights when we're together. And so this wasn't, you know, in one sense, I'm like, I'm just going to what's next in Mark, you know. This was the, just literally the next passage for us to do in our study. But I bet that this word was really specific for some of you in here. And I love how God just does that. He orchestrates stuff so beautifully together. So as we respond in these different ways, uh, let's just let's let him do his thing among us before we pray and go tonight. All right, let's stand together. God, I am grateful, uh, as always, to be in this room with this group of people. Um, and your, your goodness and your mercy are following us. And so whatever, whatever mindset that we need to approach the table or approach prayer or... Um, Maybe some folks don't want to take communion tonight, and that's fine. Um, but as we, as we respond in these different ways, would you just bring to the front of our minds the thing that you want us to, to be thinking about and, and focusing on? And all the ground that's been covered tonight, between our interactions with each other and the songs and praying and the scriptures, whatever it is, would you just bring that to the front and help us to respond in spirit and in truth? That this would be a time that is honoring to you, that is, uh, as you draw us into taking steps forward, whatever it may be that we're facing. So this is a time uh, for us to be with you as individuals and as a church family. And uh, we're grateful, God. We love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, the table is open whenever you're ready. Let's just give God these these closing moments together. Um, Just follow him.